back to another episode of the discourse the less preeminent show for uh, all your respiratory illness related news and news related opinions i'm being joined as always by my lovely panel of experts uh you know not in respiratory illnesses of course that's not what we're experts in um don't sue <laughs> richard and john say hi fellas we are indeed here yes present and accounted for we are present and accounted for i mean frankly i'm feeling good lungs feeling as clear as a fucking spring day every breath i take is constantly playing in my head as we talked we're coming to you live well recorded live as most things are after the vp debate between pence and kamala harris which we won't be able to discuss in length because one of the members of the show quote unquote did not watch it because it was boring right you know no need to name names fellas uh no need to name names when you record a podcast the moment after you like press send or finish editing or fucking like post it breaking news comes out related to what you just posted right just you know that's just murphy's law and the breaking news that came out post our debate episode drastically changed my rating of the first presidential debate between trump and biden from uh you know thumbs down to a thumbs up how about you guys yeah i i'm uh it doesn't really change my opinion of the debate itself honestly it's it's still just a giant shit show it's just a little bit funnier now knowing that like maybe he purposely infected the uh, everybody in the audience as well as his a debate uh, opponent well frankly i don't know when i first heard the news the first thing i thought right after i stopped laughing because i'm gonna tell you right now oh that night oh yeah no that night was perfect i was like going to bed because it was one o'clock and all the nerds were asleep and the news dropped for some reason at one o'clock because i guess that's when he was assigned to go to the hospital or when the test finally came back or actually it wasn't when the test finally came back which we will get we will get to as we sort of break down the timeline csi style uh you know I was vibrating like Amy Klobuchar at fucking debate night. Frankly, I was afraid that I was just going to fucking shift into another dimension because my atoms were resonating at the wrong frequency. Uh, but the news first dropped. I kind of thought, I guess what everyone kind of thought in the haze of misinformation and lack of information around Trump's illness and the severity of it and when he contracted it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I just assumed that when he got to the debate, they had rapid tested him and it had come up negative because it was still in that kind of four to five day incubation period, right? And so my first thought was like, you know, this I think is a lesson about the dangers of over-relying on technological solutions when what you really need is just like, you know, the ability to adhere to like societal change and the dynamic society that requires dynamic things only to find out in a few days later that no they just didn't test them right right he showed up too late and so that was on the honor system and he didn't get tested and meanwhile like his members of the audience the people that he invited his family members all sat down were approached by a doctor who said hey you have to put your mask on and they basically told him no like what the fuck yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, and, uh, like, I don't think we've still found out when his last negative test was, either before the infection or after. Like, yeah, than... the haircut Jake Tapper is losing his goddamn mind over that. And justifiably so, but, like, that is important information. Well, it's a really rudimentary and basic information that isn't, you know, doesn't have that kind of medical privilege or anything. All it does is basically indict any activity he took place after that took place after that. And uh, apparently we would have to presume that the only reason that we don't know is because it is uh, bad. Well, the, the funniest thing now 
in my opinion, is that he's literally come out and said that it was a meeting with Gold Star families that infected him. He's trying to tell people that the dead troops families that he came to the White House to be honored by the president were getting too close to him and hugging him because they loved him so much. And that's how they and that's how he got infected. Meanwhile, there's a video of him at his own fundraisers, right, at, you know, big donor houses in, I think, New Jersey, and then also one in... The one I'm thinking about is the one where he was throwing the hats into the audience, like, basically licking them and then throwing them to the audience. And then the other one is the one where he gave Chris Christie uh, COVID, right? Thoughts and prayers to him, too. Uh, But for me, I mean, just go back to, like, the whole not testing him thing. You let this man get through on the honor system? How? How does that make any sense? It's just like we've spent the last three weeks talking about how he lied about COVID related news in March. You know, the hashtag Trump lied, people died was trending. And then, you know, he gets to this debate. He's like, I don't have time to get fucking tested. No, the amphetamines in my system that keep me awake are just not going to last out through that like 15, 20, whatever minute testing process. I guarantee you I'm fine. Scouts honor. And they just go, yeah, that sounds good it demonstrates that they can't even protect themselves from him. And like, I think him ripping off the mask at the top of the stairs was another kind of example of that. And also the trip around in the car where like the uh, sealed car with the secret service, which I don't think I didn't see actually uh, visualizations, but I don't think that they were in complete PPE, even if they were wearing uh, N95 masks. Yeah. It was N95 masks and uh, shields and goggles, but that was it. Yeah, I mean, you're a sealed car. Go ahead. Continue. I was going to say just so quickly, they can't protect themselves because they've constructed like these institutions or they work and navigate them, you know, and sometimes lead them that have certain demands that are just counter to that. Right. You know, because like, yeah, if Trump does says he doesn't want to get tested, what are you going to do? Right. right? You know, you're going to cancel the debate. What about all the sponsors? What about all the coverage? What about all this stuff? Trump has, you know, just come out that if they do a virtual debate, he says he won't do it. So their inability to push back on him is, I think, part of and parcel of that you know biden was kind of sympathetic at the debate mentality where it's just like we're supposed to feel bad that these people who obviously choice in the context of coronavirus has been used you know a lot to demonize individuals who are being put in hard situations by their material conditions in order to say it's their fault for why coronavirus is spreading or even if they aren't being most responsible shift the eyes off the institutions that are failing onto like individual bad actors right but you know when it comes to the people at the debate needing to demand that Trump follow basic protocol. And the, yeah, you know, Chris Wallace could have just decided not to go out. Joe Biden could have said he won't do it because he won't get tested, right? These are people who have decided that in order for things to run, we have to enable certain bad actors to a degree that is even counterintuitive to like fucking protecting themselves. And like, I think that's where, you know, John's assessment of this being the producers and it all being an act, you know, sort of brushes up with like a little bit of an unfortunate reality. It's like, yeah, a lot of it is an act, but you know, when you continually make these suboptimal decisions over and over again, sometimes you find yourself being boxed in in a way that's damaging that you would prefer not to be, and it's not an act, and there's nothing you can really do. Yeah, unclear if necessarily it becomes at some point whether it's an act or if people have been pretending for so long that this is who they are, you know? Well, I mean, it gets to the West Wing thing, you know, like he. 
the West Wing has become the mindset for most of these Democrats, and they believe that acting honorably, even when doing evil, is the most honorable thing in the world. And it's not about the results. It's how you comport yourself while you're doing the thing. So, like, having respect for the office is paramount to them. Meanwhile, the office itself is spreading a, pan a disease that's killed 220,000 people at this point. So having respect for an office that's ki literally killing people does no good to the real world, but it's it's what they're pathologically locked into doing. Well, I mean, it's like you said in the last episode too, John, you know, you know, them not understanding that some of this like is eventually going to trick into their communities, right? Yeah. yeah, we know that they have the best health care out there. We know that the likelihood of many of them dying, even those who, if they were, you know, if they lack that socioeconomic cushion would be more high risk. I mean, they, they still are high risk, obviously, that it's still most likely going to turn out all right for them. Like, that's fine, but it's not guaranteed. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the assumption that everyone who got infected by Trump or who could get infected by Trump is just going to have it pass through their system without any kind of consequences, despite all the science saying that it's pretty deleterious. And despite Herman Cain dying are just mm -hmm. sort of, again, sort of falling back onto this belief that like, well, yeah, but nothing really bad could happen to these people. Right. Nothing really bad could happen to these people as a result of their just sloppiness and inaction. Yep. You can't buy a New Zealand bunker for your immune system. I'm sure people are shopping good. Yeah, I'm sure they are. But I mean, that gets to the whole point, though, is like they can buy or they can have provided for them at <laughs> with uh, free of charge with a socialized medical system, um, experimental drugs that no one else is getting. And so, you know, like we talked about, you mentioned Herman Cain. And I think it's very interesting because like Trump isn't really out of the woods yet. Um, you know, Herman Cain had a period of, of fighting back and, and tweeting furiously and then you know he died so while trump is all hopped up on experimental steroids you know he he seems great but that doesn't necessarily mean that the virus isn't ripping through his system and on top of that knowing how infected the upper echelons of the republican party and the white house even the white house staff the poor bastards are right now he's probably being exposed further to the virus i mean yeah it's just like a fucking hot house over there and i will say you know frankly john you misspoke the president has promised to get us all injected with experimental stem cells uh you know for free right we're gonna all get the same treatment as our no longer natty president donald trump and these people this has got to just be one large stephen colbert satire because didn't the, the Ben Shapiro guy also mentioned I am legend recently in like yep. a, like a, a, a positive light. Is this really happening? Are we on this timeline? Go. I mean, movies. All right. With Will Smith. I like that. It. It's better than Gemini, man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like late Will Smith fucking sci-fi vehicles. Like I am legends way better than Gemini man and after earth. But yeah, it, it's definitely no independence day. Yeah. But the book of I am legend is completely different. And it's a great horror book. If you like that kind of thing. They also made a, another movie based on the book omega man or i am omega man some shit some shit about the omega man i don't know i'm an alpha uh but <laughs> it's, it's more it's more closely adapted from the book actually i believe yep the omega man 1971 it's gotten to a ridiculous point it, it seems to me that, it, that nothing is too absurd anymore it just yeah. it just keeps you think that we've reached some sort of ceiling or limit and then it just gets more absurd and you can't really necessarily be like shocked or surprised but it's still constantly keeps getting elevated and worse or it's hard to even kind of connect it and and place it when you start looking back and thinking about all the different scandals and lies and so on and so forth that we've already kind of forgotten about because they've happened more than you know six weeks ago 
Well, it's funny. I mean, we all laughed when he said, I like people who don't get captured in reference to McCain because, you know, McCain sucks as is a war criminal. But, like, he's out there literally blaming Gold Star families for having infected him. Like, <laughs> what? It, the, the absurdity of that, if you had told me that that was going to happen in any political arena not even four years ago, I would have been like, you're out of your fucking mind. And this is where we are. It, it's just, it's, it's post-parody at this point theoretically he is losing right i mean it's not as though he's out there like insulting the troops and like just running away with the election i agree but the point i'm trying to make is not that he's losing it and there are no consequences to his thing it's that like a strong portion of the population is like no that's fine yeah he's right damn those gold star families and it's like i mean it's like how we talk about how medicare for all has permeated and now it has a, a huge approval rating all of a sudden like we're going to be like fuck the troops like is that going to be the next thing that all of a sudden is a thing like i'm i'm kind of for it but that doesn't necessarily that's not something i thought was ever going to happen and as a direct result of the parody inducing like trump presidency but there's a decent portion of Trump's base that I think just gets off on him dominating other people and other even traditional signs of American patriotism, masculinity, sort of like, you know, making them his cuck. Right. And part of that is also like anyone who might be a threat to his masculinity, anyone who might make him feel bad or dumb is going to be like, you know, come the target of his thing. So much of his presidency has just been about his like, continued feud with Obama. Yeah. Right. That just he never got over. Yeah, I mean, like, and it's not just all, it's not all troops, though, because, like, remember, he has the big, beautiful generals, right? Like, he's got a weird thing where it's a level of respect and a weird dichotomy of respect that I don't understand. Like, any, he's obviously an authoritarian because the people that he likes are the, the people who are in charge and the troops themselves, the people who died, they're suckers to him. And that's just well, yeah. the fact that that becomes accepted because, obviously, every single one of his base falls now into that line of suckers. But they're like, it's like that old Simpsons episode where Krusty the Clown comes into a restaurant and then the Mater D welcomes him and says, oh, no, you only a scum compared to Krusty. And then everyone goes, oh, yeah, you see how you scum. Like, that's the base of the Trump party. They all think of themselves as scum, but they're his scum. Even when I was watching the like Trump motorcade go by where he waved to his quote unquote fans outside his hospital as he sped by, it's clear that Trump is disgusted by the majority of his low level fans, right? Because he yearns for the attention of like the entrenched political media class, right? That's what he wants. He wants the acknowledgement of, you're right, the generals. Everything's a hierarchy, right? Those are like the heads of the business that is the army, right? Though, you know, he wants the respect of those people. And, you know, at the end of the day, just winning the election and having all that power is does not guarantee you success. But that's just a metaphor for the far right, right? You know, in many ways, a lot of the thought leaders obsession with the culture war is not based on any kind of objective reading of who is in charge in america like what sort of quote-unquote ideological leanings this country has but like a sense that they're not whatever power they have does not translate to respect right whatever power they have does not translate to people wanting to watch like cultural products made and staffed and performed by conservative you know james wood movies although i have seen a uh, fucking videodrome a lot of times so i guess me that's wrong so, uh... One guy from Charles in Charge, doesn't he do or like? Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Sorbo, uh, and they're bringing back fucking Tool Time with Tim the Tool Man Taylor, and I think what I think he's also conservative. Yeah, he's a, oh, he's a yeah. ultra conservative. Not quite yeah. as bad as like Kevin Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo is more like a Christian conservative. He's more a, a old white man grievance conservative. Just to go back to the Trump and people being infected with 
fucking COVID conversation. <laughs> so I can't I can't say it without laughing because it's funny to me, right? Oh, I don't want to like be, the whole time. Yeah, I I thought it was very funny. I went out, I got me a fucking bottle of Moet. I drank that, you know, for a few days. I lived like I had like a Puff Daddy music video going on in my apartment. Shit like the bubbles everywhere, you know, who knows? I was Harlem shaking, but the old one. Oh, I was doom scrolling Twitter so bad too. I was refreshing it every five minutes, going, "I gotta see when he's gonna go. Is he gonna die? Is he gonna die? I gotta go. Gotta see." So much of what I was thinking as this was, you know, occurring was they are like they're still going to try to push the Supreme Court hearings through. You know, they're still going to be operating as though it's business as you know usual. Right. There were only two outcomes. It, it was either he dies or he makes it seem like it's in line with the policies and the things that he's been pushing because to do otherwise would to say that he was wrong and he's incapable of doing that. Yeah, and I mean, to prove he's too virile a man to be taken out by, like, the China flu or the China plague, whatever he's fucking calling it now. But Trump being an unrepentant asshole is just illustrative of how dysfunctional our institutions and our expectations of them actually are. Because once you've established that Trump is a bad actor who acts poorly in a very predictable way, it doesn't absolve him of his responsibility for being a piece of shit but the personal responsibility argument kind of goes out of the window because then we're supposed to have institutions for this right to control him to punish him to basically insulate the rest of us from his terrible impulses but you know what we see in the people who allowed the debate go on without trump being tested who allowed the debate go on without thinking about the cost to the workers and other people there you know forget about uh fucking biden and uh, chris wallace but the people who just work there who really couldn't speak out you know all you really see is that they're not actually capable of reining these people in and so all they can do is kind of demand that we feel sympathetic for them or try to put on some sort of informal pressure on bad populations or bad actors to control what should be the job of an institution that has just basically either been allowed to shirk that responsibility because it's you know it's just there to enrich a certain group of people or because like it's been left so incapable of doing that by austerity that all it can do is kind of sound the alarm consistently cries that he's a bad actor he's a bad actor look how he won't take personal responsibility look how he's endangering people kind of fall on deaf ears because you know yeah there are always going to be bad actors right that's what people who were against prison abolition thought they were being clever by realizing that yeah there are just always going to be people who act shitty but it's the job of certain institutions to corral those people either by incentivizing better behavior or de-incentivizing you know shitty behavior right but we don't do that either we pretend like the only way to control people is by punishing them but you know, that's why, as someone said on Twitter, it might have been Elizabeth Brunig, you know, it often sounds like liberals are appealing to an invisible moderator or an invisible, like, referee to throw a yellow card in when a Republicans do something shitty. That's just because that's who they think actually is controlling the election, right? They're fed a steady stream of bullshit about, like, theoretical populations from suburban moms to like fracking love in Pennsylvanians that they never check in on and so when Trump does something that is bad or fucking uh disrespectful all they can do is like repeat the same kind of logic or same kind of rhetorical trick that's used on them by the Democrat higher ups and ultimately speaking we still just need our institutions to function better and this is just really the way that Democrats enforce their own norms like displacing all that id or whatever that or the donors want much like this dumb country bumpkin population that you just can't seem to reach right and if you were actually talking about a dumb pump uh country bumpkin population like uh, the country population versus the population of the rest of the country is small like we, we've we've 
kind of subverted that. So it's not that. It's it's the suburbs. It's the people in the suburbs who make over $200,000 a year who are themselves, like you said, displacing their own internal desires onto that. Like they like watching the cops beat a whole bunch of people in the cities because they fear that it's going to that the lawlessness is going to spread. And lawlessness is heavily in fucking square scare quotes there. They love that. They love fracking because they don't give a shit about the environment because their gigantic SUV takes so much mo uh, money to fill up and they want cheaper gas. Even though fracking companies are massively underwater because the price per barrel is so fucking low right now. Like all of this stuff is stuff they love. And so it, it I think it gives them an out. I think by by creating the amalgam, like, you know how Chuck Todd has the, or not Chuck Todd, uh, Chuck Schumer has the amalgam of the family that he's always trying to win over their votes. I think that this class of liberals in the suburbs have this amalgam of, you know, the, the white reactionaries that they have to appease in order to get the votes without ever realizing they themselves are actually the white reactionaries. Yeah, they compile them made out of the, the, little features that they you know they don't really like but they tolerate about their neighbors and their friends and, and their family and yeah exactly and it's like really all that's just a reflection of themselves because those are the people that they associate with and they internalize all that kind of stuff too it's like they're not the kinds of one that'll bring it up because they have a black friend and they won't you know they'll they won't talk about it in front of them but they also don't say anything or speak up about it when it's happening all around them all the time and like are contributing towards it. But inside they feel like, you know, they have a, you know, a Black Lives Matter t-shirt on underneath, you know, their hoodie or whatever. Or, or a post a Black Lives Matter lawn sign in front of their $600,000 exactly. McMansion. You know, and it gets to the whole thing where we constantly talk about atomization on the show, you know, like there's no sense of community among them. So they can't imagine that anyone outside of like the four people that they actually know and are friends with because their lives are so filled with work or other things that they don't know anyone outside of institutional roles, whether it's work or God forbid they still go to church or anything, you know, they, they don't really know anybody. So that's what they're left with. It's just this guessing game about what people actually think and what people actually feel. And they don't have the time to do anything. And even their hobbies are not like, you know, this is a hobby for us. We sit and we talk and we share ideas and we talk about what those ideas mean to us. And I don't think many people have that. I think they just turn on the TV or like we've talked about, outsource the morality to a party, whether it's the Democrats in this case or the Republicans. And that's where we're and there's at. no coherency either, yeah. either just in that, like the particularly like the same people that are talking about how, you know, it's more mature and adultish to do all these, make all these compromises, do all these things are then, you know, following retweeting or whatever the childish homophobic and all the types of like uh, backwards slurs that are being used towards Trump or towards Pence or towards the administration or whatever. Right. Like the Putin are, is like, gay thing for Trump. Like, what is that? Yeah. Like, it's like, this is like not even ju like junior high kids have grown out of this kind of thing. And you're telling me that you're the mature adults in the room and that you're also then amplifying this kind of like stuff. Like how many man. people went like last night and made the joke about Mike Pence's only black friend is that fly. You know, like how many people, how many jokes did you see about that last night or this morning? It was fucking crazy. I didn't read any jokes, but that shit sounded boring, and even the jokes sounded boring. I mean, I saw the fly thing, and to me, no offense, that sounded like desperation. People were looking for content in an yeah. otherwise boring debate, a point Rich was making earlier. 
the inconsistency in the way the upper echelon of society feels about Trump and how that translates to an inconsistency in how they portray him. A lot of it is just they're inconsistent because like sometimes he represents them either by action or position. Like, you know, sometimes he's cutting their taxes or sometimes, you know, he's just a rich guy, a rich president, someone on TV, a public figure, you know, a talking head, a pundit, you know, a donor, a billionaire. And so by stepping into those roles, they must protect the things he represents at least at those times, right? And sometimes he embarrasses them. You know, sometimes he embarrasses them either because he is a direct reflection of their the worst aspects of themselves or their class, or sometimes he just embarrasses them because he's a huge fucking dumbass, right? And that's just embarrassing to, to watch. But, you know, as the viewer, as somebody who doesn't, like, operate within that realm where, like, interpersonal meanness, like, you know, is the primary lens that you understand all depression, it just comes across as, like, incredibly, like, silly. Like, I didn't see any, like, real, and I wasn't looking for any because I was having a good time, you know, vibing, as the kids say. I, you know, I didn't see any good like arguments or rationales for why you shouldn't make fun of Trump or in July and Trump suffering, you know, none compelling other than like it shows a lack of empathy, which I disagree with. And I'll explain why in a second or that, you know, it's mean and it makes some people feel like awkward and uncomfortable. Right. And I would argue that the awkward and uncomfortable feeling is not empathy. It's mostly just like deference. Yeah. That there is just like a certain deference present in people who grow up in America that makes, you know, the idea of being mean to people in a certain position or the idea of people who occupy certain positions or who look certain ways, you know, suffering just like untenable. Right. And I think a lot of Western society is founded on the idea that there are populations that should suffer, that need the yoke of the police, that need the yoke of the state, that need, you know, or rather that their suffering is necessary for the social order to main, you know, be maintained, even if you don't necessarily find it good or agreeable. And that there are some populations where if they become subject to that, you know, suffering, it's just a big problem. Right. And, and what I was going to say is like we saw some of that behavior during the primaries where we had people who are literally war criminals saying, oh, the left is mean to me online and therefore I have to I can't vote for them. And, you know, not only that, but just other people saying, well, the, the message is the left is mean, so I can't vote for the left. And it's like that meme that started with healthcare, please. Right. Like the left is mean because the system is unjust and we are mean because the people who are enforcing the injustice are the ones who are benefiting the most and are having their positions protected by everyday people who are actually being harmed by their policies and positions and yet they don't see it so it's like you know enough shit enough of this shit we have to do something about it but that deference to civility and deference to positions of authority is just baked so much into so many people's minds that i just don't know how to break out of it it's kind of like Today, I shared something in the chat with you guys about how viewers of TV, and they, they split them into two categories, Fox and MSNBC, CNN, are viewing um, the, the whole COVID news from Trump. And it's like 90% of Fox viewers say that America is doing, and Trump especially, is doing everything that they can in order to fix the problem, whereas everyone else is less than 3% of the other viewers are saying that. And that gets back to the, something we said during the primaries, which was, you know, 50, uh, the the age break actually had less to do with age and more to do with consumption of uh, information and where that was coming from because you build these constructed realities. And I think that 
what's happened is that we have differing constructed realities based on an age divide because we have grown to a point where the economic precarity that we're always talking about on the show is engulfing more and more of the population that just happens to be younger and younger. And meanwhile, their lived reality is completely different from the lived reality of people who are 50 and above. And that gets to the deference as well, because now we're having like these gigantic fucking arguments about how we're supposed to treat these people and that are actively enforcing harm on the rest of the population. No, I think uh, just quickly, just uh, so it doesn't sound as though it's ages, I'm pretty sure that you're uh, like uh, acknowledging that it's not a limitation of age. No, 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 no. Like that, that people can be, it's a lack of uh, interest and curiosity and so on and so forth. Or time or, or, or yeah. social structures. Like the internet itself is probably like just even getting on for some people is difficult because they didn't grow up with it like we did. You know, like there's all sorts of social factors that go into how we perceive and how we trust our, how we get our information. I mean, like there's also the Cronkite factor. Like so many people in older generation perceive the news as trustworthy and good because why else, why would wouldn't it be there otherwise? And so they don't ever have that cynical look of like, well, you know, they lied us into Iraq. So it, it's a lot of factors. It just so happens that it breaks down along age, not because of age, but because of all these other social factors. Also, it's easy to pick on any particular news source as being terrible. And don't worry, some are real shit. But like generally speaking, mainstream publications, you know, regardless of like where they lean on the center left to like far right spectrum are not particularly interested in like gifting their readers with the ability to critically engage with materials. Right. Right. They just want like fans. They want people, they want subscribers. They want people to feel good reading their shit. They're not really in the business of challenging people with like hard truths or complex ideas. They're in the business of like stroking the egos of liberal or like people who generally think that society is going all right or you know stroking egos of the far right right you know and trying to keep and, them on the edge. and that gets us to the population we were talking about about the suburban voters who are inst inherently reactionary they get to tell them that you're doing all that you can to address these horrific problems like climate change racism police brutality all those things and nothing more can be expected of you and it's a result of these intransigent republicans that nothing gets done has nothing to do with your inadequate efforts you mentioned the lie, get lied into Iraq war and one of the things that I think this demonstrated with the, you know, oh, you know, let's pray for pray for Trump and all that kind of stuff was that as soon as he's out of office, he's going to be rehabilitated. So the people that like there's even pundits and mainstream outlets that are like that push this idea that, oh, you know, Trump's trying to rig the election because he's scared of legal troubles after the presidency. It's like that's just ridiculous. We're not going to undermine the legitimacy of our electoral and presidential system by prosecuting and jailing a former president. It's not going to happen. If Nixon didn't, it's not going to happen. Right. So that, that is like there's lots of reasons why he doesn't want to lose. And I think that might have been actually one of the biggest fears that the Democrats had about Bernie becoming elected, honestly. Yeah, that he might actually follow through with that kind of sensation of that perhaps these people should be held accountable. Well, frankly, him getting COVID is going to be like the way they justify not going after him because, you know, his, he'll just be a little too weak to deal with the prosecution. Right. I mean, there was never any chance they were actually going to actively go after him, you know, after the election, assuming he loses, because he's able to flip back and forth between representing their interests, either by his identity and having a bunch of money or just actively supporting the things that enrich people like him, which they also support, that it's going to be easy to transition transition him away from being a threat to just another rich guy who they don't want to they don't want people looking too deeply into
And that was why impeachment failed, too. Right. They had to thread this line of trying to get at Trump with something that won't implicate enough people to be problematic after Trump is gone. Right. Because it's about the illusion of recovering from Trump, even if we don't ever put any safeguards that prevent another person like him from coming into office. The thing I was going to say, actually, was going back to the empathy I don't think Americans have the empathy they think they do. And so part of my resistance or just like who cares in response to people like troubling themselves over whether or not it was the moral thing to do is that we have a semblance of empathy that has been strategically structured to craft the kind of deference we have to celebrities. And that's because the suffering of people and populations that is deemed necessary for our society to exist is kind of hidden away from us. And we are allowed to know about it in the abstract, you know, we're allowed to like know about like what's going on there. But like the personal, actual personal stories of people who like live day to day in situations that allow us to live so good, allow some of us to live so good are usually hidden or if not treated as voyeuristic. You know, they'll have specials on it sometimes just the way for people to like enjoy a little poor porn a little like self-flagellation before they get back to what they're doing i think that that's a big reason people don't like black lives matter like no matter what like you just can't forget how much people are suffering around the world but you know people like trump people who otherwise have a lot of resources they cannot be deplatformed or erased the same way and so they're able to platform their pain or platform their suffering or illness in a way that demands that we all engage with it in a way that is going to decide you know what our morality is like in the broad sense of the word right you know consigning entire populations to suffering because that's all the democrats is offering is not going to be a damning stroke of your morality because like those populations don't get like to one on one by one step on like the platform of the news and say like how much they've been failed but you know instead you're going to be judged on whether you're a good bad person like well how you re- react to like a celebrity getting bacterial meningitis or like a billionaire like dying when his dick gets ripped off in a dick lengthening surgery that's going to be the decisive factor of, like you know whether you have empathy steve jobs committing suicide by basically denying science exactly right you know you're like because we can't like ignore those stories i mean well i can i do it all the time but because like theoretically those stories are going to be like platformed as big news events by nature of who they happen to a lot of us are going to be judged based on our reaction to them but i don't necessarily feel like that's a good metric from our morality because a lot of people are directly responsible for making life shittier for people who look like me right i didn't give that nigga covid19 he gave him covid19 right <laughs> right well and to that point like uh we're update updated with like every one of these celebrities like when tom hanks got it we found out about it immediately and like all these uh, other updates but nobody's currently accurately tracking according to Pub- pro publica a piece that uh, came out in august that uh nobody's accurately tracking healthcare workers lost to covid right and, and it's, it's somewhere in the range 900 a thousand give or take that we know of like probably more and the COVID death tolls almost uns- or almost certainly higher than any of the publicly published numbers, based off of excess death and so on and so forth. In my opinion, but uh, but you know what we are tracking. I guarantee you, somebody is tracking who's got COVID in order to uh, put it on the list of pre-existing conditions to deny coverage down the line. That's quite possible. And with the the Supreme Court, which is going to be a conservative court, regardless of how this shakes out in the with uh, Barrett and now with the COVID slowing down business in the Senate and so forth, it's it could like the individual mandate could go. Obamacare goes pre-existing condition coverage basically evaporates with it without it being replaced. Right. And so 
yeah. it just gets to like how we appropriate our resources even when we're talking about like the economic systems and the and healthcare systems but like even how we appropriate our resources when it comes to the media and our time and our attention right like you said we we pay attention to tom hanks whether or not tom hanks has got it but hardly anybody was talking about the bolivian coup and what anyas did where she murdered a whole bunch of people in order to suppress it and now we've got the ned and united uh usaid down there saying that they're going to oversee uh, elections when the un has been called by the uh, party, the mass party, to come in and observe the election, but everyone, including the United States, is trying to deny that to happen, even though they facilitated the coup. Like, the number of suff- people that are going to suffer as a direct result of that, the number of people who are going to be killed as a direct result of that is going to be crazy, but we're never going to platform that. That's never going to be heard. You know, like, when we talk about Biden, we never talk about Plan Colombia. When we talk about, like, these people, like, we just, Richard and I just did the mini-show, we talked about how, like, the institutions that do lending in Africa have been completely corrupted by Western countries and Western organizations, and yet that's never covered, right? So, like, we really don't get a national attention for anything other than our celebrities. Well, and there's a general disregard for brown people or people just around the world generally that aren't, uh, at least that people don't see themselves reflected in, and you can tell that in a lot of the ways that liberals talk about international relations where they'll paint these other foreign nations as horrific, which you can only get to this idea that these other countries are worse than the United States by completely disregarding the hundreds of thousands and millions of people that the United States kills or supports and arms the killing of and so on and so forth, like around the world every year. Like, or internally. Dis- yeah, and like not to mention, yeah, just domestically. Well, I mean, they'll, they'll argue, oh, they're worse domestically and like they'll, they'll, they'll rationalize that. But it's like you have to completely disregard so much suffering and death and exploitation for capitalism and so forth on behalf of the United States in order to get to any sort of conception where any other country is worse than the United States as an actor on the world stage, period. And, and I mean, our attention is never given to that. Our attention is never given to that because, like Brandon said earlier, like if we were to start paying attention, the the even the people who are in the suburbs whose lives are made comfortable by these exact systems would have some sort of pause. Like there is a level of empathy that, you know, not everyone's a psychopath, but at the same time, like they, in order to perpetuate these systems, you have to act like everyone is and make sure that they aren't unaware of these things. And you have to soothe them and make them feel like they aren't when they start to feel like they might. Right. Well, I mean, we've seen that with Black Lives Matter. Like, it's become more popular in the aftermath of people becoming more acquainted with what the police system is actually like. And a lot of the people who were poo-pooing the efficacy of abolish the police or the efficacy of defund, they were doing so under the auspices that it was them just opining about the objective truth of the way the populace was going to react to them because they were political media people, uh, like Vox writers and fucking, you know, New York Times op-ed columnists. And it was more or less easy to craft a narrative that this was just going to be a position of suburban soccer moms and like just like, the rest of, you know, real Americans aren't going to like abolishing the police. Uh, but, you know, as people became more and more acquainted and the police were unable to help themselves, we saw a lot of movement. We still seeing a lot of movement when it comes to police being reined in and like some restrictions being put on them. Not enough, but we're seeing more than people thought were possible. But a lot of these people are able to project their own like material concerns and like social anxieties onto fake populations, the working class, suburban moms, et cetera, et cetera, in order to not have to own up to them and actually express that, yeah, you know what? I like what Trump is doing in this situation because it represents my interests and soothes my material anxieties as a rich person, but I just 
can't self-reflect on that. So like, yeah, it must be suburban soccer moms. Forgetting the fact that, you know, you can consensus build. If people don't fucking like something, you can try to convince them. Right. Right. You know, like you can try to convince <laughs> them of something different. Like that's just 81% of Democrats want Medicare for all and almost 60% are Republicans at this point. Just the idea that you might convince people of something different is just like oddly absent from conversations about like, but people who operate in political media class call for empathy for Trump, but really what they're doing is calling for empathy for them and their friends. You know, because no matter what, no matter how bad Trump is or is not on that day, no matter how like shoddy the reporting is from New York Times, no matter how completely vacuous their opinions become, there's just no good reason that you should be mean to them because interpersonal meanness is the only way they experience oppression now. And so like, that's just the way it works. It's so obviously motivated by personal to be treated as a neo aristocracy that they just can't keep Trump straight in their heads or in the heads of the people who don't occupy a similar ish position. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's just so frustrating because, you know, like we, we talk a little bit about this with cancel culture as well, where it's, it's, it's just such projection and it's just such awfulness and that civility now becomes the main portion of the discourse where harm is never really talked about, you know, like it's more important to have Jeffrey Goldberg and, and David Frum writing at the Atlantic than to, to talk about the fact that like, they're both arguably war criminals. Like, and, and that gets to the whole thing where like they, these people would rather have the, the civility towards Trump because he's of their class, because he's of their strata, because he's of their projected worth than to actually have a conversation about what is what the reality is in America, because that's uncomfortable. It, it's just so gross. We can talk about the reality now, actually, because frankly, in the aftermath of Trump getting COVID-19, we've seen that there's still going to be no movement on getting relief for the people of America until possibly after the election. And then after that, if he loses, that's it. It's not going to happen. Going back, and it reminded me of a quote from a Mammy colonizer in the colonized, just talking about, uh, about mediocrity, and it just says that even if every colonist is not mediocre, every colonizer must, in a certain measure, accept the mediocrity of colonial life and the men who thrive on it. So it's like it's built into the originating nature of the United States to accept and, and embrace this sort of mediocrity among the pseudo aristocracy that you mentioned. And so within that group, this is a existing and, and like an ingrained perception. And so that kind of self deflection of any sort of failure on their behalf of being reflected in the inaction or the the failures in policy in in real life or in people's lives is something that they have to keep they have to be able to synthesize and reconcile it in a way that uh perpetuates the kind of american exceptionalist myth of you know we're doing we're not the best or like this isn't perfect but it's the best it can be right i think maddie iglesias is a perfect example of that that fuck face like was talking about the um the ocasio cortez uh put out a tweet talking about the black panthers breakfast program and how that led to lunches uh through public pressure and maddie called her wrong and it's like okay well that gets to exactly what brandon talks about about these institutions you know not even doing basic fucking fact checking so like they can't even be bothered to put out like the the basic product that would be re responsible for what their position is and so they're just always wrong in a singular direction and yet that mediocrity is always accepted because they're the high priests and to start even attacking them would fundamentally undermine the entirety of the operation because these are the people that are pushing forward the propaganda for the operation itself whether or not people exactly. other people recognize that it's propaganda or not is beside the point they're the high priests of the operation so they're the ones who have to be protected even though they fucking suck
and it's gotten so that mediocre is bare, like isn't it is bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I would say that part of what you're talking about kind of echoes what I was saying earlier about the media class sometimes feeling aligned with Trump or just the upper echelon of society sometimes feeling aligned with Trump. I would loop that into the conversation of why they would believe him on the honor system at the debate right. like yeah there are definitely like institutional demands like oh we got to have the debate you know we don't want to de delay it uh, blah 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 like we set out a block of time and people are you know fucking ratings but then there's also like well yeah but he wouldn't lie to us right we're like you know he wouldn't lie to people like us like yeah he might have lied to like the rubes out there but like we can accept that he wouldn't be willing to do this to us and trump has shown that he's willing to fucking like infect everybody to get his way so with mitch mcconnell yep. right and so part of this comes down to like well mitch won't even go to the white house though well, yeah, but he's willing to infect other people to get his way. Part of this is the Democratic Party being surprised that the Republican Party, at least as represented by Trump, but like definitely like as it exists, is actually as apocalyptic as they describe sometimes. I think that John is right. It's, this rhetoric is actually just to like stoke up their voters. Like, you know, every every election is the end of the world. But do they really believe it's the end of the world for them? And they continue to be surprised that like, well, yeah, these people are actually willing to go way further than we think that they would. And there doesn't seem to be a bottom and a lack of bottom and Trump and like their frustration with the lack of a bottom, with, at least when it comes to endangering them, I think is genuine. And I think it's something to like be concerned about. Well, what I was going to say is it just gets to the fact that like they 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 agree to the premise, right? They agree to the premise that there's a surplus labor that needs to be punished, whether it's through either like the, the carceral or the homeless or the poverty state or, you know, just removal of death. But they just don't think that they should be part of it. And the Republicans see them as an obstacle to the removal of that surplus population that needs to be removed. There are a couple of people to follow when you want to talk about like the inside baseball of how these negotiations are going. Uh, Stein at the Washington Post, uh, David Dayan, who we have on here is another one. What it looks like happened is that when Trump got, you know, his his steroid tweets going on and immediately called off the negotiations, McConnell, it was immediately after a phone call with McConnell and McConnell basically told him that like Nancy Pelosi was stringing him along and was lying to him about the possibility of getting a bill passed between Munchen and Mnuchin and uh, Pelosi, you know, through the Trump White House because McConnell was not going to pass it. So McConnell is acting like a block and. You know, that seems like, oh, it's just, you know, Mitch McConnell, he's standing in the way. But part of the problem is, is that Mitch McConnell can't put a coalition of Republicans enough, together enough to vote for anything because you have these people who are a death cult that are part of this organization that are like one step removed from the white supremacist militias like Rampart in the Pacific Northwest that just want it all to break apart. And that has become the norm. And yet that can never be addressed. Yeah, I was just thinking, because, like, while the FBI was, uh, like, testifying about Antifa and all that stuff, is like they were apparently working on this plot that was going on to kidnap the governor of Michigan and blow up a bridge, and, like, there's, like, talking about not being able to protect themselves is, like, they, I don't think they appreciate the type of uh, actions that 
are going like can and would follow Trump if he all he did is instead of saying stand down and or, and stand by or whatever he gave a more uh, aggressive message to a certain segment of his followers. And let's be honest, I mean, most of the reason why the F- it seems like the FBI captured these guys is because they were part of the organization. They had infiltrated it. Think about all of the instances that the FBI over the past couple of years has touted as their anti-terrorism task force. It's entrapments. It's things where they provide, like, the bomb maker, the materials, and the money, and then they grab somebody. The FBI is not good at this. You know, our institutions that are supposed to protect us are not good at this. What they are good at doing is they are good at infiltrating and doing away with leftists and black organizations across America. So infiltrating a white supremacist organization and seeing how far the roots go is not something the FBI has been prepared to do because it's not something they've been actively doing. So you're absolutely right. If Trump gives the word in a, a fit of like steroid and peak because he's on his deathbed and he sees the white light and we're going to see a lot more stuff from some people who are arguably competent and not just trip over their own dicks uh, idiots. Yeah, not going to conveniently meet some guy who just happens to have all the, you know, materials for making a bomb and can teach them how to do it and is oddly encouraging of all their terrorist behavior. Right. Well, I mean, frankly, the fucking who, person who made the bomb for the Boston bombing is still missing, and people think that was the FBI. T- I, people think that was the FBI, like, losing track of one of their... F- well, the guy's father was tied to the security state. The Intercept has a good reporting about uh, th- th- how that happened several times with a couple... Muslim uh, terrorists, quote unquote, in particular. Sorry, go ahead. What happened to the guy? What the guy who did the mass killing in Great Britain on the uh, bridge, too? Right? Like they they worked for him to get into Libya, and then they worked to get him home. I think we should pivot to the last topic. I know that I did not. Watch. Oh my god, fucking a! <laughs> I, I know, John. You're you're impressed by my empathy. Uh, frankly, it's the only <laughs> yep. way I can avoid. <laughs> it's the only way that I can avoid the mandate that everyone shrink down and be injected into like Republicans' bodies to fight off the coronavirus in order to prove that they aren't moral villains or something. Like we should talk a little bit about the vice presidential debate. You know, cover all of our bases. Dot R T's and cross our eyes so john why don't you just give us a quick recap and i'll just jump in where I feel, when i feel the vibe it it was a debate it was an actual debate and it was boring as fuck for most of it um it was also incredibly disheartening um one of the big takeaways one of the big highlights that everyone on you know online and other places was talking about it was how when it got to the environmental um it was one of the first ones I've seen a re- legitimate environmental question, but the environmental question was framed completely wrong. It was basically framed as like, well, if you do the thing that's going to save the environment, you're just going to kill jobs, right? And Camilla bought down on that and was like, yeah, we're not going to ban fracking. I repeat, we're not going to ban fracking. A thousand times we're not going to ban fracking. And then she like tweeted it out. And, you know, one of the things that I find interesting is that, you know, the financials of fracking are really fucked up. So like the price per barrel of oil right now is driven that the fracking industry needed was one of the first industries that needed a massive bailout and they got it. But like what we're seeing is that I don't think that what we're seeing is that that is uh, even not popular. Like fracking itself is not popular in locales where people are assuming that it is like Pennsylvania. Um, So what I'm thinking is that that was more of a, a, a tribute to the Wall Street that is heavily underwater on a lot of these fracking investments. Now, the other portion of it that I thought was actually even worse than the environmental was the economic section. And throughout the economic session, uh, they just kept having the right wing framing of absolutely everything. And in some instances, Camelo was to the right of where Pence was. It was really 
just an amazing tribute to, like we were talking about, about the solidarity of the class that is the, our media, our political apparatus, all of that, because it was just outdated modes of economics that were touted, ver like repackaged versions of trickle down, and everybody agreed to it. And uh, it was quite, quite disturbing and quite disheartening. Um, and it was exactly what I expected from both Kamala and from Pence. Yeah, I guess I can't speak for you guys, but I, for one, like the convenience of being able to set my local river on fire and use it as mood lighting for huffing toxic, toxic fumes with my sweetheart. But uh, I think the fracking aspect of it was uh, particularly insightful in that it demonstrates that you can't take anything that this that the Biden Kamala uh, kind of campaign is saying seriously. And that's one of the things Pence essentially called out is that you got the Green New Deal basically more or less on your website. But then you're saying that you're not going to do some of the most basic things. And I think one of the things that sticks out to me about it is that they're the you know, oh, if you if you do this, you mentioned in the framing, if you do this, it's going to cost jobs. And it's like that's right. exactly the same framing Republicans are using for covid. And it's like, how do you not see that? That's what you're doing. That that's what's happening here with climate. <laughs> like, they, and, and the, the trip side to the climate, I mean, you can make the argument that covid will cost jobs in the long term or short term. We've seen that, you know, we see massive increase in the permanent unemployment or lack of or permanent uh, dissolving of positions that were available pre-COVID. But you can't make the same job claim for the Green New Deal. I mean, the Green New Deal will literally create more jobs than it's uh, losing, according to almost all research that's got done in good faith on it. And, and But it gets to the thing where they were talking about one of the ways that the moderator who has made uh, Chris Wallace look like he was an AK toting comrade was that taxing will slow entrepreneurship so you can't raise taxes and camilla made the comment in the response to that that we have a two trillion dollar deficit that we need to deal with and it's just kind of like they can't even take a a quasi liberal framework to deal with this it's always the reactionary always the conservative framework to deal with anything economic and it's just so fucking sad because we keep beating our head against the same wall which is that they'll lose jobs if they do anything to make anything better for the average person being deficit cuck is a good way to justify to your your base that is more concerned with being the adult in the room, like being the pragmatic person in the room, uh, to convince them that you have to cut entitlements or entitlements have to be cut or like Social Security or Medicare needs to be cut in order like to balance the budget, right? Because, you know, that still operates on the logic of like, well, the government is like a home. Yeah, that's what signaled to me. You know, yeah, the government is like a home and the public sector is like your home and you, you got to do the responsible thing and balance that check. You know, the idea that compromise as maturity and maturity as being good for maturity's sake, even if it means that people have to suffer, you don't, you don't get what you want, right? It's just skewed to make it seem like the Democrats' losses are actually victims because ultimately they chose to be the mature person in the room. But, I mean, we see that the same with the fracking. That is the one part that I had heard about from the debate, that they both, you know, agreed to drink a cup of fracking fluid or fracking water <laughs> on stage. And first thing I saw in response to people like pointing out how fucked up that was, was someone inventing a population out of whole cloth, assuming they exist, assuming that the Democrats are doing it for that population, and then congratulating themselves for understanding and immediately guessing how strategic they were being. And so they were like, oh yeah, but you see, that's for the Pennsylvanias, not for you. And my whole thing was just like, did you even even look that up and even if that were the case even if you found the information which i doubt that you did because apparently it's not that popular throughout all of pennsylvania no. right it's 
just a it's just 60 percent disapproval that goes back to consensus building let's say it is popular in pennsylvania let's say it is so popular in pennsylvania that like it would be detrimental to your campaign to come out against it maybe you should be working on things to like make that not the case considering that it might kill the planet and destroy us all right that like you know that's that's when you've become entirely cucked by ideology that you've just like started masturbating to the idea of maturity even when you're losing constantly like even when you're like we're being so strategic that oftentimes we end up fucking losing it's just like what it's just like you end up losing and then also giving up your goals imaginary focus group politics pundit brain like let's try to figure out like what people want and you know satisfy every individual population we've invented counterintuitive material aims well what i was gonna say is i actually don't think they're they're quite doing that in this instance i think that it's a matter of the the backers of the party the donors like the the institutions of wall street are necessarily pro fracking because they're waiting for the point where they can be made whole on like several billion if not trillion dollars worth of investment that is now at this moment underwater and then you have to think about like you know how we've seen cdos being created out of um short-term loans for supply chains well what about the cdos that have been creating off of the institutions of fracking as well like i'm sure they exist so there's probably a lot of people who are nominally part powerful um, and have control over the biden administration who are co deeply concerned about banning fracking because they want their opportunity to be made hold when the price per barrel goes up again i'm talking more about the point that the, the people who are defending kamala harris's need to, oh yeah they're like, fucking defend, idiots. like they're like they're thinking that oh no uh, there's a huge population of pennsylvanians who are just so pro fracking that kamala has to talk to that she has to talk to that otherwise she will lose sans any evidence right because i don't think they've looked anything of this up uh because it turns out to not be true right but even if it were true which is the point i was trying to make you know fracking is so deleterious to the environment that it just has to go at some point right and you can't keep putting it off and i would even say you know to the green new deal and the green new deal creating jobs or any other things like you know the loss of jobs from people in the fracking industry i would say it's actually a pretty reasonable thing to worry about that like jobs would leave your town in the rust belt and not come back right because that happens all the time that's happened all over this country a lot of people and they do nothing for any type of training or anything to get you by that's not true sometimes they do like isolated like computer programming trainings but like you know obviously it doesn't work but my point is more like the few people you know who are grasping onto fracking or grasping onto any industry that they can regardless of how deleterious an environment it might be because they're afraid that this job might go and they, another one will replace it are right to be afraid because the democratic party the republican party the government generally speaking has done a really bad job of like expanding the public sector or investing in industries to replace like production republicans lie about bringing manufacturing back to america uh which they're not going to do obviously and democrats basically just say you can ship your kids to the city to like fight for a few jobs either at tech startups or become like the permanent underclass serving people who work at tech startups the um extraction of wealth from rural areas and southern areas to like a few key centers of capital there needs to be a counter to that because the solution can't be to, well i guess we just keep the fracking jobs right at right. a certain point you have to actually like rebuild people's trust in public sector jobs and the government's ability to provide them with a basic standard of success not a basic standard of opportunity in some vague way but like a minimum floor for whether you, you don't want a job you know whether you need your basic needs are going to be met whether you have a job or not but we have jobs for people who need them you know whether it's in the green energy or something else or you know maybe we can actually send people back to school for training who the fuck knows but like the solution regardless of popularity can't be we just keep these jobs regardless of what that means for the planet 
but it's a lot of institutions shirking the responsibility and then blaming the people who are afraid to lose their job and then like saying they're enough of a part of the population to like ruin it for the rest of us when neither of those things are true like they're right to be afraid but our population doesn't need to be beholden to them and they're the way to satisfy both those needs right because they're being treated as though they're dichotomous because of like a shirking of responsibility no it's 100 percent right it just gets to the point of like what the reagan uh reaganites have done so successfully is defeated the very idea that government can be used to do anything for anybody and now that's become basically baked into democratic politics like like you said we have to now say camilla has to get up on stage and say i'm for fracking because there might be some theoretical person who will vote against her if she says no to fracking, despite the fact that California is on fire and, you know, the East Coast housing uh, situation will be mostly underwater. And we're going to have to see two thirds of the population migrate away from where they're currently living within my lifetime if the, if things keep going this way that they're going. It, it's just it's ludicrous. But they think that, OK, it, it gets to the point about the producers, too. I mean, they're no longer trying to win. What they're trying to do is manage expectations during the decline of empire. As things fall apart and as capital accumulates to a larger and larger uh, or smaller and smaller sector of the population with larger and larger amounts of it, um, we're just going to see everything collapse. And they're just managing everybody's expectations during the decline. The smarter ones among them. The rest of them are true blue believers who are honestly psychopaths and don't have any type of analysis of what's going on whatsoever. Well, and part of it that I think this kind of touches on as well is the the impotence that you see within Democrats in that even if, you know, we're Trump's, uh, you know, a threat to democracy, we might not have an election after him. If he wins, you know, he's going to continue to threaten populations and domestically and abroad. He's going to, you know, do all these things. But we know if he does somehow manage to win that they're just going to start campaigning for 2022. Like there's not going to be any plan to actually do anything to to recover that democracy or if he feel they feel like he stole the election they're just going to be like well we got to beat him next time that's and right it, it, it i was just gonna say it goes to the same thing with climate once the you know the sea levels start rising and people start to be migrating away from shorelines and stuff they're just gonna blame republicans for not being willing to you know subsidize four foot stilts instead of three foot stilts for the homes on the coastline or whatever it may be well, it reminds me of the Army Corps response to Katrina, where it was just like, well, we just didn't know. We didn't have the funds. We didn't do the proper engineering. We just couldn't. And it's like, well, yeah, you could have, because this was an eminently foreseeable disaster that everyone knew was fucking coming. And you had people in local ac- academics, at the very least, who were warning you about it and telling you you needed to do something. Oh, I was just going to say that the moderator served uh, Harris a question on a tee about, you know, well, what would Joe Biden administration be doing differently than the Trump administration mm-hmm. about COVID? And she had nothing. She was like, oh, he's got a plan. Trump doesn't have a plan. We got a plan. I was like, and Pence hit her on that. <laughs> I was like, well, that's great. You got to like, what, what is, what good is this plan? Tell us this plan. It's like nothing. Got nothing. It's going to be basically the same thing and maybe slightly more government pressure for masking. That's about it. That's the I believe science mentality. They believe it's enough to just say, I believe the science. And because usually Republicans will just like ignore that and say some crazy shit. But they might have learned to say, well, I have science, too. And the Democratic Party has no response for that. Like they have no response for I believe science as well, but I have different scientists, you know, the old climate change tobacco industry argument, which is now fully functional because we just have all these silos of information that people can choose their own adventure in. Like they have no real response for that other than to ask 
you know people to believe their science not the other science because a our media doesn't like really exist to teach people how to parse through science in that way or but b because the next question would be like okay well we both believe science let's talk about our policies and how they differ and how they align with the science that we say we believe and the answer is really just the life Christ party doesn't really have a plan or and if they do it's not one aligned with the science they claim to believe because and they they have to because in order to perpetuate the system that is currently existing there needs to be a larger and larger increase of surplus labor and so they need to just eliminate people and the democrats actually adhere to that as well they just want to be nicer about it yeah the way i view the parties the biggest or like one of the biggest differences is that they represent different fractions of billionaires that disagree about what the most effective and efficient way is to keep people obedient and complacent and productive and it's not about like any sort of liberation or you know like actually living a full like living a full life and being fully human it's just about uh, being as productive and efficient as possible at producing the the hordes of wealth that a handful of people are holding on to when that goes back to john's point a lot of what media people complain about and it's just they serve people shit propaganda with no evidence and then they get mad that like the people who they serve like their readership is incapable of discerning their shit from shit that they find distasteful people like laugh i talk about flat earth a lot but the seriousness that our written publications treat with like citations and sourcing makes it very easy to convince people the earth is flat because you don't have to provide anything it's so easy for conspiracies to spread because the media as it exists does not feel the need to provide even the most basic usable citations anymore like this i would get failed if i turned this in in high school definitely college but probably even high school is <laughs> like you're getting paid and probably too much for this like even though i mean journalists are underpaid generally but yeah you know i like to talk about this russiagate it's like the attribution of russiagate just the technical attribution of russiagate they have one source that made two predictions in the span of two months and one of those predictions had to be walked back because the government of ukraine said that they were wrong and pro provided proof to say that they were wrong like and yet nobody is ever saying like wait a minute hold up what like it's it's just fucking ridiculous. We have evidence after evidence after evidence that they cannot be trusted with information and they cannot be trusted to actually do anything with the information that they have. And yet we're just supposed to take it at face value. And a lot of these publications have guidelines that say that if they're going to use an anonymous source, that they have to give it a reason for why they have to maintain the anonymity. And that's almost never happening anymore. Never. In, in like a lot of the this Trump drama reality show stuff but that stuff drives clicks it drives people like insane because you know that we have dearth of critical thinking we have a, especially a dearth of critical media consumption in this country well luckily people are listening to us so you know <laughs> yeah radicalize your older relatives with uh talk about operation gladio it's my favorite fucking radicalization tool it works wonders